Hey, we are in part two of our series, Christmas, It's All Good, and that might be a surprise to some of you. Um, I think we've all wrestled with the question, is it true? Is it true? Is, is Jesus who he said he was? And I think everyone should wrestle with that. I don't think you should take your parents' word for that. I don't think you should take your pastor's word for that. I don't think you should take whatever religious tradition you grew up in, a uh, word for that. I think you should investigate it on your own and weigh the evidence. Because once you weigh the evidence and, and you come to the conclusion on your own that Jesus is who he says he was, you will own it. You will own it. You won't just own your parents' uh, faith. You won't just own, you know, this is the way I grew up. You will own your own faith, and you will be so much better off um, for that. And I think we all wrestle with this. And the thing we talked about last week that I think is a little surprising to me and has taken me by surprise in our country is we're asking the question, is it good? Is, is the message of Jesus good? Is religion even and, and, and our nation is kind of, kind of tilted to, to a, a posture where we're not even sure it's good, which is just amazing to me that we could get to a place where we would question, is the message of Jesus good? The only thing that I can think of is that the church has done such a poor job of representing the original version of Jesus that somehow or another we have, uh, we, we, we've gotten people to a place where they're even questioning, is it even good? I mean, that's just crazy to me. And I think maybe the reason if you're watching online or you're in the room and you're like, yeah, Eric, I, I'm not sure it's good, that maybe the reason you, you think that is because of a version that you grew up with or a, a, a version that you've bumped into or, or, or have, have seen or have experienced was not the original version. Maybe it was a version where, where they used the power that comes with uh, authority and, and, and religion and all of that, and they put in this kind of hierarchical system where, you know, one is more important than other, and there's the superstar, you know, Christians, and then there's kind of the unwashed masses. If you grew up in a system like I grew up in, on the stage, on the stage, there's there was chairs with different sized backs, and the higher back, that's where the pastor sat, because they apparently were closer to God than the rest of us unwashed masses. And then there was the, the, the choir director. His back of his chair wasn't as high as the pastor, but it was still higher than the rest of ours. It's like, is that really the way God works? I mean, that, that's phenomenal. See, you just need to know Jesus leveled the playing field. When you open the pages of Scripture, you don't find that at all. Jesus actually leveled the playing field. I had a, a friend of mine who got to go to Billy Graham's funeral, and, and uh, I'm finding out the older I get that some of these names that I throw out that I'm, I'm like, you know, and my kids are looking at me like, I, I got nothing. I have no idea who you're even talking about, um, and so I'm afraid that when I throw Billy Graham out, maybe we're getting to a place where some of you are like, I got nothing. I, I don't know who this guy is, or maybe you've heard of him, but you have no idea what he did. I mean, Billy Graham, I'm just telling you what, Billy Graham was the most amazing evangelist on the planet. I mean, 
Uh, he and Paul have this special position that's just like, woo, unbelievable. And uh, I wanted to show you a picture. This is Seoul, South Korea. When Billy Graham went to Seoul, South Korea, 1.1 million people attended. Okay, did you get that? 1.1 million people didn't watch online, showed up. That's unbelievable. I mean, Billy Graham was un he was just he was just a phenomenal individual. So my friend, he's he he got to go to the funeral. And uh, and here was the deal. There was only a thousand people who were invited to come to the funeral, and they you could only take one other person with them. So there's these really important people who, you know, are heads of state and, and all kinds of, you know, top individuals in their field and very influential and very powerful individuals. And, uh, and usually they travel with an entourage. They travel with security. They travel with, you know, in limousines and tricked out Escalades and all the deal. And they have people, you know. They have, they have people. Well, they, on this day, they could only have one people. They could only show up with one other people. And, uh, and so he's like, my friend was like, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. Because they all had to show up at this warehouse, and, uh, and they all gathered at this warehouse, and they had to leave behind all of their entourage that they showed up in, and how expensive of a deal did they show up in, and how expensive was the Royal Royce that they, and how much security do they have, and they had to leave it all behind at the warehouse, and then some buses showed up, and they all had to get on the bus. Now, talk about leveling the playing field. I mean, this is unbelievable. So they all had to get on the bus. They couldn't even choose where they sat on the bus. They had to go to the back of the bus and fill up the bus from the back to the front. And then they hauled all of these really important people to another place um, about 20 minutes away where they had a tent. And, and my friend was like, it was freezing cold out there. And so he went um, with his wife and... Uh, and, and he said it was just hilarious because all of these really important people, they just hated that part because the most important people on that day couldn't be important. Everybody who was somebody wasn't anybody that day. The playing field was leveled. See, Jesus leveled the playing field, which we love. But we only love it until we are included in that, right? We only love it until we're included in it. And, and it's like, yeah, because Jesus declared that all of us are sinners. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for everyone has sinned, leveled the playing field. We're all in this together. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter how important you are. It doesn't matter if you have people. It doesn't matter if you show up with security. It doesn't matter, you know what, any of those things. We are all sinners. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And, you know, you might 
you know, in the room or on, uh, you know, if you're watching online, it's like, yeah, Eric, but <clears throat> see, this is, this is where I can't really, this is where I get off the train. Because see, I just can't go with this word. Now, I'm, I, I would admit, I, I've, I've, I've made some mistakes, but I'm, I'm a really pretty good person. You know, I'm, I'm, and, and sin is really, really, really bad. And I haven't done anything that's really, really, really bad. So I can't go with sin. Now, I've made some mistakes, but see, here's the thing, and the difference between um, a mistaker and, and a sinner. See, um, a mistake is, is what I made the other night when I was trying to use my Hershey math um, to count how many burgers we needed when we invited uh, my son uh, Cody and his wife Molly over for supper, and we, we grilled some burgers, and I grilled enough uh, so that Cody and Shane could have two hamburgers, and so I needed to grill seven, and so I was counting, and, uh, and Shane was like, Dad, uh, I thought I, you, you grilled enough for, for two for me, and I'm like, I, I did. Well, I think there was only six. No, no, there were seven. I grilled six hamburgers. See, <clears throat> that's a mistake. That's a mistake. See, a, a, a mistake is a little different. See, sin is, is you know, it, it's hard to make a mistake when you actually plan the mistake. <laughs> you planned it. You typed it even. You typed the mistake. You hit the send button. You even knew what you were doing. You even knew when you got in the car and showed up at the other place. You even knew when you knocked on the door. You even knew when you ran through your mind what it was that you were going to say. You ran it, you know, when you dropped that thing into the mailbox and you knew where it was going and you had planned it all out. See, you didn't plan the mistake. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And here's the thing. Where, where we kind of go wrong is, is we don't understand the, the level of difference and the level of the chasm between us and a holy God. We don't understand this glorious standard. We think we can somehow get close enough to it, and yet if God would show up if we, and, and let just a little bit of his glory out, it would floor us. And that's why when, when Paul says everyone has sinned, we're all in this sin boat together. And it, it really doesn't have anything to do with, you know, how much money or, or our name or how many good things we think that we have done. We're in the same place where we've come short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, God should shame us. God should punish us. God should condemn us. Yet God, what does he do? With undeserved kindness. In other words, we didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't work for it. Declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. In other words, we didn't have to pay. Well, Eric, somebody's got to pay. You're right. Somebody does have to pay. So who's going to pay? For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Jesus paid. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus Christ sacrificed his life, shedding 
his blood. And we listen to that, and those of you that, you know, church is part of your deal, you're just like, oh. yeah, heard that before, Eric. Pretty much every week, what, what else you got? Heard that. That's, that's not new news. Any, you got anything else? And we do that because we do not understand. We, we lose our self-awareness of the chasm between us and God, and we, 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 we don't become self-aware of, of where we should be and, and the unbelievable grace that God extends to us. We misplace how far apart we are from God. And we lose our self-awareness. Just like Paul. The Apostle Paul, you know the story of the, of the Apostle Paul, and, and he, he was checking all of the boxes of being religious and doing really good. And, and, and you, you read in Philippians, he's like, hey, if it's all about being good, I could tell you I was the best of the best. I checked all the boxes. I did them all. And yet he says, when I became self-aware, when I became self-aware, when, when Jesus slipped a little bit of glory out, it just, it knocked me off of my donkey. I was on my way down to arrest these Christians to do my, my duty for God and not only arrest them, but to have them tried and put to death. And you know what? I was celebrating that and on my way down, all of a sudden, a little bit of God's glory just slipped out and he knocks me off my, of my donkey and all of a sudden, I'm blinded by this light that's, it just floors me. And all of a sudden, I become self-aware of how far away from God I am. And he says in Philippians, nothing else mattered. All of these boxes I was checking, <laughs> how silly, how silly they looked. Peter became self-aware. Luke records this story for us in Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. In our life group, um, we went through this thing called theopraxis, and part of it is uh, the, the first part of, of really getting every, you know, everything out of the scripture that you can get is observation. And, uh, and so... This is just really interesting. When you sit back and you really observe this, Jesus isn't, when, when Luke records this, he's looking back, and, and my guess is he was actually being, he was interviewing Peter himself as an eyewitness, and Peter was telling him, hey, we realized, you know what? <clears throat> Jesus didn't open the Bible. You know why he didn't open the Bible? Because it, it didn't exist, okay? And, and this wasn't the law and the prophets, what, what, what Luke is saying is, we realized when we were sitting there listening to Jesus, we were listening to the words of God. We didn't even know it at the time. But we were sitting there listening and being taught the words of God. He noticed two empty boats, he being Jesus, he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So some of them were washing their nets. Some nets were still in the, in the boats. 
And, uh, and Jesus is teaching this crowd who came in and was kind of pressing up against him. And so stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, he's like, hey, Simon, would you come over here? Would you mind, I know this is your boat, would you mind just kind of, you know, going out a little bit and, uh, and I can teach? And, uh, and so he asked Simon, who is Peter, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. To which, you know, if I'm Peter, I'm like, okay, time out. <clears throat> time out, Jesus. Hey, let's row out a little bit farther so no one can hear us because I'm just going to talk this kind of between you and me. See, you, <clears throat> maybe you should just stick to preaching um, and not fishing because, see, if you... I don't want you to really embarrass yourself in front of all of this crowd um, because you're about to really embarrass yourself. Um, one, see, uh, we have fished all night long when you're supposed to be fishing. <laughs> um, and we fish at night because that's when the fish come to the surface and we fish with nets and we can scoop them up um, off of the surface. And, uh, and, and it's the heat of the day right now. And I just need to tell you, We've been fishing all night long when you're supposed to fish, and we haven't caught a thing. So I just guarantee you, I'm just going to kind of give you a heads up. I don't want you to embarrass yourself. This is not when you go fishing. So you just stick to preaching. You know what? Let us fishermen kind of handle the fisherman thing. And, uh, and, and so Jesus, he, he, he's like, hey, let down your nets. And, and Simon Peter replies, we worked hard all last night. In fact, we are exhausted. We didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I mean, I don't know what else to do. I'll let the nets down again. So picture this. Here's Peter and here's Jesus, the only two in the boat. They both let the nets down. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. Two guys trying to handle the nets would normally have several guys, only two guys, Jesus and Peter. And so Peter yells back to uh, his partners in the other boat and says, hey, get in the other boat and get out here. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Now, put yourself in, in, in Peter's shoes for just a minute. If this was you, how would you react? See, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, let's go into partnership together. Let's do business together. I mean, this would be phenomenal. We could do some great things together. What would you say? Jesus let a little bit of glory leak out. Just a little bit, tiny, insy bit. Let it leak out. And here's Peter, and he's realizing this has nothing to do with fish. This has everything to do with me becoming self-aware of who I'm in the presence of. And so Peter says what many of us say when we experience and have an encounter with God, 
When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. Go away from me. Why? Because I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. The chasm between you and me, and it doesn't matter how good I think I am and what I've done, the chasm between you and me is too great. And so you know what? I need you to go away from me so I can feel better about me. That's why many of you resisted coming to church for a lot of years, isn't it? That's why some of you online, it's like, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll watch online, I don't know, and I don't really want to go, and you know, it's just, every time I go, it's like, ah, you know, and I just think if I just stay away, I'll just feel better about me. Because the chasm is so wide, and we think, you know what? When, when I am confronted with this holy God, all I can think about is what I deserve, the penalty that I deserve, and, and how short I am, and, I, and, and it makes me feel bad, and I don't like feeling bad. And, 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 so, and the version of Christianity that maybe you grew up with was one that was filled with shame, the one that was filled with blame, one that was filled with, with condemnation, and so... That's what just kind of rolls on, on top of you and you're, and, and you're thinking, I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. That's why you think it's not good. And yet that's not Jesus. When you open the pages of Scripture, Luke chapter 15, Luke records that tax collectors and other notorious sinners, that means <laughs> not just regular sinners, notorious sinners, often came to listen to Jesus teach. Often. Jesus was nothing like the people that he was teaching. And the people that he was teaching were nothing like him. And yet they wanted to come, and they often came and listened to him. And I think, I just, I'm just a preacher, but I just think maybe the church, if the church is going to reflect Jesus, that people who are nothing like Jesus, people who are far from God, would at least want to come and listen. That we would create an environment that would be conducive to people who are far from God. They may not believe, but they would want to come and often listen. And if that's not the version that you grew up with, and if that's not the version and you think it's not good, maybe it's because the church has done a poor job of reflecting the original version. Because the original version, I'm just telling you, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, they often came and listened to Jesus teach. They liked Jesus, and Jesus liked them. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain Oh, oh, the religious superstars, that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Oh, there it is. There it is. There it is, this hierarchical system, the, the, the religious powerful wanting this, you know what, this hierarchical system, and here's Jesus leveling the playing field. 
And then he goes on and, he, and, and Jesus realizes that who is, you know, in this crowd and what they're thinking. And so he begins to teach to the religious leaders and he goes through this series of parables and says, look, if you want to know what my heavenly father is like, if you want to know what God is like, God is willing to leave the 99 and search for the one who is wandering away. These 99, they're good to go. They're good to go. They, they, they've, they've, you know what? They have had their sins forgiven. They've given their lives to Christ. You know what? They're doing fine. But there's one who's wandering away. And if you want to know what the priority of my heavenly father is, he's willing to leave the 99 and go after the one. And if you don't like that, you don't understand the original version. Because that's what my heavenly father's like. Is there a huge chasm between us and God? Absolutely. Yet God stepped into that chasm. He talks about a woman losing her coins and how unbelievable, ha- unbelievably happy she is when she finds that, that one coin in the same way. There is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And then he, he talks about the parable of the lost son, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with this, but I just wanted to read it for you. To illustrate the point further in Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. In other words, Dad, I want you to pretend like you're dead. Let's just pretend like you're dead, and then I want want what's coming to me for my inheritance. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. And, you know, that's what, that, that's what we do. We, we're just like, you know, go away from me so I can feel better about me. And you know what? To feel better about me, I'm going to numb me, and I'm going to numb me by having, you know, sex with whoever. I'm going to numb me by having, you know what, drinking it away. I'm going to numb me through, through drugs. I'm going to numb me through all of these different things. Sex, drugs, and I don't know if they had rock and roll. I guess it was harp and roll. Harp and roll. That's what I'm going with. Right? It's harp and roll. Uh, Jesus is laughing right now. <laughs> A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. Hmm. Sounds like things happened back then the same way they kind of happen here. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. 
The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, when he finally had some self-awareness, and that's what we struggle with. We either struggle with self-awareness where we think we're better than we are, or we struggle with self-awareness to realize how big of a chasm it is. And sometimes we punish ourselves. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. See, sometimes we struggle with self-awareness and we think that we're better than we are and sometimes we think that we understand who God is and we have no idea who God is. We think God is this angry, angry God. And because the chasm is so wide, you know what? He is so angry with me. And you know what? He doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And I have messed up so bad. There's nothing in the world that I could ever do. And that chasm is so wide. You know what? I just need to hang it up. It's too late for me. And so just go away from me so I can feel better about me, and yet our Heavenly Father is inviting us to come to Him and to step into that gap with compassion. He doesn't step into that gap with shame. He doesn't step into that gap with condemnation. He doesn't step into that gap and says, and wags his finger at us. He invites us into that with unconditional love. My friend who went to Billy Graham's funeral said, you know, the best thing about that funeral was when Billy's middle daughter, Ruth, he had five children, and his middle daughter, Ruth, was kind of a hippie. I guess that's the best way to describe Ruth. But she got up and wanted to tell her story. And I want to read it to you. She said, I have learned this week as never before that everybody has a Billy Graham story. I have my own Billy Graham story, so I'm going to tell you that one. After 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce, and I was devastated. I floundered. I did wrong. The rug was pulled out from underneath me. My family thought it would be a good idea if I moved far away, got a fresh start somewhere else. 
So I decided to live near my older sister and her family and near a really good church. The pastor of that church introduced me to a handsome widower, and we began to date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him. But I thought, you know, they're almost grown, and what do they know? They couldn't tell me what to do. I mean, I know what's best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo, and they said, Honey, why don't you slow this down and wait and let us get to know this man? But they'd never been single. And they'd never been a single parent. And they had never been divorced. What did they know? So being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married this man on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I had made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled because I was afraid of him. And now what was I going to do? I wanted to talk to my father and I wanted to talk to my mother. It was a two-day drive to their home and questions swirled in my mind. What was I going to say to my daddy? What was I going to say to my mother? What was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? We're tired of fooling with you? We told you not to do with it? You've embarrassed us? And let me tell you, you women will understand, she said. You don't want to embarrass your father. You really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. Many of you know we live on the side of a mountain. And I wound my way up the drive, and as I rounded that last bend, my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, He wrapped his arms around me and simply said, Welcome home. No shame. No blame. No condemnation. Just unconditional love. And no, my father was not God. But he showed me what God was like that day. You see, when we come to God with our sin, our brokenness, and our failure, our pain, and our hurt, God says, welcome home. You see, sometimes we struggle with self-awareness and we think we're better than we are. And sometimes we think God doesn't want to have anything to do with us. And, and maybe the version that you grew up with and the version that you've bumped into would lead you to believe that, that God isn't good. 
that this isn't good. But that's not the original version. The original version, our Heavenly Father welcomes us home. No shame. No blame. No condemnation. Just unconditional love. For some of you, this is your welcome home moment. For some of you watching online, this is your welcome home moment. And so what I would like to do right now is I want to invite everyone who's in the room to stand with me right now. And this is what I would love for you to do. Some of you have prayed a prayer similar to this. You prayed it recently. Some of you prayed this, a, a, a prayer like this a long, long time ago. Some of you have never prayed a prayer like this. Some of you watching online, you haven't prayed a prayer like this. These words are not magical. But it reflects a, a deep-seated uh, desire from your gut, from your soul that you want to express to God. And so what I would love for us to do is whether you have prayed a prayer like this, similar to this, recently or a long time ago, but for those of you who have never prayed a prayer like this, I want all of us to say this together because I want those of you who have never prayed something like this, that you would be able to hear yourself pray it out loud as a welcome home moment for you, to your Heavenly Father. And if you're online, I encourage you, you have the courage to pray it out loud as well. Would you say this with me? Heavenly Father, I have fallen short. I am more than a mistaker. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. I place my faith in Jesus' death on the cross as payment for my sin. If you had never prayed that before and that is the desire of your heart, you're in the room, you've never done that before, would you tell me? Would you find me, track, run me down afterwards and say, man, I, 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 I prayed, I gave my life to Jesus today. I need to let you know that. If you've done that online, would you say that in the comments so that we can um, help you with next steps of what we would encourage you to do? Crossing, you pray with me. Heavenly Father, I am so aware that I am so much more than a mistaker. <laughs> the chasm is so wide. And so God, I pray for those who gave their lives to Jesus this morning. That that seed that has been planted would not find itself in, in hard soil, but it would find itself in fertile soil and it would take root and it would begin to grow and Father, the, 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 the roots of, of their faith would grow deep down into Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we would be able to teach them in a, in a way that would reflect the true heart of our Savior and our Lord. 
God, I pray that as a church, we would be a church that reflects the original version, that it was so unbelievably good. May we remember that this Christmas season. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, we're here with Eric, and uh, man, that, that message, uh, every time that I hear that and think about uh, you know, the gap that is between us and God and the fact that he still uh, offered himself and, and, and still just doesn't yeah. hold that against us. Man, that just, it, it blows my mind. And so uh, I know I've been in a place before where, uh, you know, I kind of like to punish myself and just kind of sit there and, and stew and stuff and feel like I have to clean myself up in order to get yeah. back to God. So what would you say to somebody who's maybe watching now that that's kind of where they find themselves? Yeah. Um, that, that is a tough place. And, and I don't know if it's an American tradition. I haven't been around the world um, to, to see if this is a world deal. I know certainly in the U.S. Um, there's something that we want to earn our way. And certainly in Midwest, we... We want to earn our way, oh, yeah. um, and in some ways, that's a great thing, but when it comes to God and, and the standard of, of God, um, it, it could be very, very harmful, and uh, so we end up just punishing ourselves, and since we're punishing ourselves, it affects everyone else around us. I mean, we just make ourselves a miserable person. And maybe you grew up in a context where that was your religious tradition, is, is you were taught, make yourself feel horrible, and if you do that long enough, God will finally be happy with you, which is not a reflection of, of God at all. And I would say, you know, that version, it's not good. Yeah. 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 Uh, so maybe what's, what's something that people can do? Because I know we can't... Uh, we can't comprehend, you know, God's love for us yeah. uh, and just how, how great it is. So what is something that we can kind of do tangibly to, to yeah. maybe experience, you know, some of I that? think the, the best thing that you can do is walk in a community of other people mm. that not only understand that, but they are trying to live it out. Now, it's not going to be perfect um, by any stretch because we're not God. Um, but if you are walking in a healthy community that understands what Jesus is really like and they're trying to live that out, uh, reflect that in their daily life, um, that is the safest, most unbelievable place where you can live. And, uh, and it might be a process, but as you are walking with those individuals, yeah. you make progress in and in changing some of the systems and some of the things that maybe you thought before and making them more accurate to what Jesus's heart really is. Yeah, yeah. So maybe if you're, you find yourself kind of in that situation or in that place and you don't feel like uh, you have anybody you can connect with or reach out to, uh, please connect with us mm -hmm. and, uh, and don't feel like uh, Eric kind of described, we are sitting on a platform and our chairs are kind of high, but uh, it has absolutely nothing to do with where we are spiritually, because uh, we as, as, as pastors so here, we're... The playing field is leveled yes, right here. Yes, exactly. And so uh, please reach out to us, talk to us, because we want to get you plugged in. We want to get you involved so you can feel and, and understand uh, what Jesus has done for you. So uh, if you uh, placed your trust in Christ today, or maybe you find yourself at a place where you're like, 
uh, I, I don't really realize where I'm at or I don't understand where I'm at. Please just uh, reach out to us, comment, send us a message, an email, whatever it may be, uh, and get a hold of us so we can talk with you uh, and kind of help walk you through uh, what a relationship with Jesus actually looks like. Yeah. So, uh, Eric, you got anything, any last thoughts for the people online? Hey, just, you know, um, I want to encourage you to take a risk and I know if you've been burned in the past by a church or you've been burned in the past by someone who had a version of Christianity that wasn't the original version, it's a huge risk to make yourself vulnerable in a community again. So I just encourage you um, to take that risk. It is worth taking that risk. Mm, awesome. All right, well, Crossing, thanks for tuning in with us, and we hope that you'll tune in with us next week. See ya.